0: Good evening, Tallahassee, and welcome to Tomahawk Talk. WVFS is delighted, elated, jubilant, and excited to bring to you the best hour of sports talk radio we can muster up. We are on air locally, broadcasting from FM 89.7 in the capital of the Sunshine State. And if for whatever reason, if you're listening on the radio and you missed the rest of this show, or if you want to go back and listen to all the hot takes, you can find us on Apple or Spotify Podcasts or really wherever you get your podcasts at. And just a reminder, the opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect those of WVFS, Tallahassee. I'm your host with a face for radio, Jackson Bakich, filling in for William Haynes. Alongside myself and a co-host and producer role today, our Swiss Army knife, our jack of all trades, if you will, the one and only Jack Oliaro. Jack, how you doing today in Orange County?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, How's it? How's it over in Lake County? I'm looking over. Uh, Looks a little bit worse. worse, We'll say it's
0: it's it's nice out. You know, I can't complain. But I'm asking about you. How's Orange County? How's your summer been?
1: It's been pretty good so far. Um, Still kind of recovering from Orlando's bad loss last night uh, to Cincinnati. It was rough, Uh, but other than that, uh, I went to Canada last weekend for the uh, F one Grand Prix in Montreal. Saw Max Verstappen win his sixth race, extends championship. Uh, Had a good time there. Um and yeah, family's finally done with COVID. So finally getting back to a little bit of normalcy after a, a whirlwind of a month.
0: Well, that's great to hear. And uh did you pick up any French? We oui. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. So uh next, I'd like to introduce a common presence on our show. And uh just to let our listeners know, and I asked him to come onto the show, we had to specify the exact time zone we were gonna record this episode. Um, Max Brundy, why don't you let us in? What exactly well, have I'm you a, been doing I'm this summer in Central Time? Sorry, yeah, go I'm,
2: ahead. Out, I'm out here in North Alabama working for the Birmingham Barons. So they're the Double A affiliate of the Chicago White Sox. And I basically fulfill all the media needs for the team. So I'm the media coordinator. So I create documents for the broadcasters, create documents for the coaches, create lineup cards. And basically what we do, and then I run social media a little bit through TikTok.
0: Yeah, I saw that uh I saw that one video where it's a uh, Thirsty Thursday. Sounds yeah. like y'all, y'all uh got something going on down or up there, I guess, in, in Birmingham. Yeah, it, Jordan played, right?
2: Yeah, $2.50, all you want all night long beer and I think uh, wow. seltzers. Pretty good deal.
0: Yeah. Michael Jordan, he's my favorite baseball player of all time. So uh, that's we really, really massive. cool
2: massive banner of him on the side of the stadium.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, he deserves it. He
2: really (laughs) does. No, he totally does.
0: Um, And finally, a familiar voice to the Tomahawk talk faithful, our former host of Tomahawk talk, Luke Hazen. Luke, how's your summer been?
3: It's been good, Jackson. Glad to finally be back on the program, but you know, Tomahawk talk is such a huge, and WVFS in general, such a huge part of my experience at Florida state. And so uh, whenever I get the chance, I'm always happy to be on. Um, but this summer's been a summer of new opportunities, new uh, new job for me, starting right out of college, and uh, you know, sort of reaching that oh crap moment after a uh, after graduating. That uh, now the, now the real hard part begins, right? So I'm always excited to be back on here to take a break from the the harshness of post college life, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, what job are you going into, if you don't mind us?
3: Yeah, yeah. So I I'm, know. I, I've taken a complete, hard left. I'm actually in, believe it or not, healthcare now. Clinical, oh, wow. Yeah, clinical research. So I'm, I'm somewhat of a scientist myself. If you want. <laughs> do you have a lab coat? Yes, I do have a lab coat.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, congratulations. You Tripped are, out uh... in the lab coat. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. So, guys, we have some big news. Um, we kind of talked. Uh, I was talking to, to William, who's our, our usual host of the show, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm praying for uh, some kind of bigger news. That, you know, other than the draft and the Stanley Cup, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. And, um, you know, we, we found some things on the show that I think uh, our viewers are really going to enjoy this week. But my prayer was answered. Link Jarrett hired as Florida State's 10th head baseball coach. And after 43 years of somebody with the last name, uh, Martin, as a skipper, athletic director, Michael Alford has found what he describes as, quote, the finest coach in the game today, end quote. Jarrett has been linked to the job almost as soon as the news of the Mike Martin Jr. firing was announced. And just to give some stat nuggets for our listeners, Jarrett played with Mike Martin Jr. and went to three College World Series in 91 and 92 and 94, all while being coached by Mike Martin Sr., Jarrett had an 86 and 32 record at Notre Dame. He won national coach of the year in both 2021 and 2022, and he recently took the Fighting Irish to a College World Series, only the third in their history. So in short, Jarrett brought Notre Dame back to national prominence, but Florida State needs him to take them to national championships. Guys, how do we feel about this hire?
1: Uh Knowles again, Knowles fans had one name in particular, and they landed their man. Um, like you said, born raised in Tallahassee, uh, starting shortstop for uh, Florida State for a long time. I believe he was All-American his final two years, his junior and senior year. Uh, went to three uh, College World Series while he was there. Uh, he had a short stint and a playing career, uh, drafted 22nd by the Rockies, and I believe only played as high as uh, the New Haven Ravens. Love that name. Before calling it quits and going coaching, spent either two or three, four years just across – uh, college baseball, going to places such as Flagler, Mercer, East Carolina, making one trip in FSU in a, back in 03, where they made the Super Regionals, where I think mo- I think that year probably was a little bit of a letdown. But now you'd probably wish for those Super Regional days. Um, but then he got his first coaching job in UNC Greensboro, uh, coached there for seven years, um, had a little bit over a 500 record there. Um, he won the back-to-back, back-to-back uh, tournament, I believe it's the Southern Conference, uh, and took the regular season championship in '18. And he broke 29 different school records while he was there. So making quite a name for himself at a smaller school before uh, University of Notre Dame, Ken calling after that 2019 season. Before 2020 was canceled, uh, fighting Irish were 11 and two uh, with a first year coach, that is incredible. Uh, followed that up the next year, 34 and 13, 2021. Won the ACC Atlantic for the first time, a long time for the Irish, uh, 25 and 10. Yeah, I'd like that too. Um, making a Super Regional for the first time since I was maybe two months old in 02. In this year, he added on to that similar success, led the Notre Dame first ever, first ever 40-win season uh, and swept FSU 4-0 three times in regular season in Tallahassee and then winning one in the ACC tournament. Uh, they fell in the World Series to Texas A&M, um, and his three years there, he was 86-32 and 32 in a historically less successful ACC school. So... Alfred, Alfred uh, Michael Alfred got his man. If this hire doesn't work, though, I'm, I'm a little bit worried because I can draw some parallels to the um, football team potentially, where it's just a little bit of aggression there, uh, falling to a deeper hole. And uh, I'm going to have to start looking at Alfred. But to be a little bit more optimistic, though, um, like you said, he's done uh, very promising things with Notre Dame. And I think that he uh, has a really good platform to be able to make his alma mater back to national championships. Max, how do you feel about the hire?
2: Yeah, I mean, Jack, you really put it very well. I think uh, if you could pick from anyone that this was your guy, no matter what, Without, with the hardware he's won, when it comes to the personal accolades, along with the team success, both on and off the field, this is a culture type of hire, because FSU's really been looking for someone with that proven coaching experience. But I figured a big issue with this team this past year was their discipline. And, a big part of that comes from the leadership and the culture that a head coach like builds in a team. So I think this is a, I think it's a great hire. I think you couldn't have asked for a better option.
0: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I, I believe the contract came down to seven years, 6.5 million. Luke, do, do you feel that's, that's too long for uh a brand new contract. Do you think he's earned it? Do you, do, is there a number or amount of years you would have liked to have seen? How do you feel about the contract?
3: No, no. I think that seven years is perfectly fine. I think that both link and uh, the FSU administration knows what it is going to take to rebuild this program from, from what it was under Mike Martin jr. Where it just got to apathetic levels of, of play under him, especially these last two years. And, um, I don't know. I think this is, was just a perfectly tailor-made situation um, that might have begun before FSU got bounced in the regional, um, in the Auburn regional. You know the way that it went down, where not only do you let Mike Martin Jr. go, but the perfect candidate Link Jarrett comes right afterwards. I I love this hire. I think that he's like Max was saying. It's a culture change. I know for what it's worth before he came to Notre Dame, they were ranked seventy third, the seventy third recruiting class in the nation. He took them all the way to twenty one in the span of a year. I I think that this guy's hair is on fire. And honestly, I couldn't care less about the fact that he's a former Florida State player. The the fact that there's just new blood in the building for Florida State baseball, I think is a very, very positive thing to look forward to.
0: And yeah, to that point, I think if you take Florida State <clears throat> as part of his resume out of the equation, or let me rephrase that, let's say he went to Florida, right? During those years, uh, he was in college. This still seems like the perfect hire. Uh, but when you put Florida State back into that equation, like you said, it's new blood, but it's also old blood at the same time. It's a, it's a good combination of this guy knows this town. This guy knows this area. Uh, this guy understands how to recruit this area. Yeah, I, I don't think there was anybody else on Florida State's radar that came close to Link Jarrett. And, and yeah,
3: that that's what's crazy to me about this is that there was if let's say Link Jarrett does not leave Notre Dame, let's say he's off the table completely. Where is Florida State going with this hire? That's what makes me think that this was they were in talks, they coordinated this this changing of the guard before we even got to regionals. I've I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I feel, really feel that there was not a clear number two option that you would have felt confident about Florida State hiring and letting Mike Martin Jr. go.
0: No, I, I totally agree. And I believe Alfred talked about the horrible ACC record and the horrible uh, road record. And it seemed like he was gearing toward this, this, this firing of, of Jr., um, a lot quicker than I think the general public did. I can, I can totally see them targeting Link Jarrett. I, I don't know what the tampering rules are, but as soon as they were able to talk to him, I'm sure they got right to it. And uh, it, it may have even been, you know, I don't want to be too speculative, but it could have even been before the season, you know. Hey, Jarrett, Martin's on the hot seat. Who knows what, what's going to happen? Uh, keep your eyes peeled that that could have happened 100 so
3: yeah I think as soon as as soon as Notre Dame beat Tennessee in the Super Regional I think it was a, a done deal
0: all righty so uh, another big hiring in the Florida State Athletics world Jeff Colham, uh hired as the new voice of the Seminoles and that was the biggest news uh, in the Florida State world until the hiring of Link Jarrett but uh, Colain was announced as the new voice of the Seminoles, and like Mr. Deckerhoff, Deckerhoff, excuse me, he will be announcing football and basketball for the Noles. And Colain said, "Quote: It is truly an honor to be named play-by-play voice for the Florida State Seminoles, and to quote, follow in the footsteps of a legend like Gene Deckerhoff is an opportunity and a challenge. I will look up, or excuse me, I will look to live up to every day." End quote. Colleen's career boasts 20 years in the field, according to the FSU press release, as he held similar positions at Nebraska, West Virginia, and North Dakota State. Guys, uh, I'll go ahead and start with Max. Max, how are we feeling about this hire?
2: You know, from everything I've seen, I really liked it. I think maybe not from the biggest conference ever, but he's got a lot of fields, not just one sport, and, a proven, like, proven understanding and capability to announce big games, big moments, big playoff games as well. I think, um, I like that guy. I, 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 He's young, and he's got the potential to become this next Gene Deckerhoff type where he's hanging around for 20, 30 years. That'd be the ideal goal here, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of play-by-play radio positions, Florida State has to be I'm going to sound like a nerd. It has to be S tier. It has to be top tier. It has to be, uh, you know, the best for the best, especially because of what Gene Deckerhoff made it into and what Bobby Bowden made it into. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: And I'll I'll say this, like you're saying, there had to have been hundreds of applicants gunning for this job. I'm going to trust the committee that they made the right hire and a confident hire, and that they're really energized to have this guy replace Gene Deckerhoff who has a good history with Gene, because he hosted him on his Nebraska radio show in 2015. And he, he said he had like a, an amazing time together. He told great stories with Bobby Bowden and how close their relationship was. And it was like a really meaningful moment in Cole Haynes life, really.
0: Um, I, I can totally see that. I've had the pleasure of, of talking to Mr. Deckerhoff a few times. I've been able to interview him. Uh, I was able to interview him once when I was in high school. That man has the memory of an elephant, of a steel trap, of whatever um, whatever analogy you can think of. Um, that man was telling me stories in vivid detail from games in the 60s and in the 70s that he called. And uh, he, he, you know, he's asking about, I hadn't talked to him in years, and he's asking about my sisters. You know, one's in New York and one's in L.A., one's finishing up school down here at, at, at UCF. And uh, he's just an amazing man. Um, I wish him a very peaceful retirement uh, and I hope he really enjoys it because he deserves it. Just what a great man. And uh, we all know for sure that Colhane, uh, Mr. Colhane has some big, big shoes, big, big boots to fill.
3: Okay. Um, I was just going to say, you know, from, from looking at Colhane, although he, yeah, he isn't the biggest name that you could have thought of to replace uh Gene Deckerhoff, and I, I certainly didn't know about this guy before uh, before he was announced as the the replacement. The one thing I've seen in his interactions with with coaches and players in all of his interviews, in all of his his experience calling games, I think he's just a very warm personality that melds very well with what Gene tried to bring to every game that he called. Just a, just a delightful voice to listen to, whether FSU is down by twenty one points in the fourth quarter or or about to win the national championship in basketball or something or what have you Um, just a very warm presence that will keep you coming back not only for the game, but for him who's calling the game.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. I was just going to say, if he's even within a sizable fraction of what Gene was able to provide here, we have a hell of a voice coming because I mean, Gene's the voice that every Null fan, you know, fantasizes his, his voice is the one you narrate in your daydream at age seven, uh, when you're in the backyard, um, you know, throwing the football by yourself when you're the quarterback and the wide receiver for FSU, when FSU's in the national championship down, what, four minute 19 to go against Miami, biggest game of all time. Or when you're playing basketball and
0: bacon shoots the shot and he misses, but there's three extra seconds out of the clock and he gets the ball and he shoots it. Then he misses again, but no, there's two seconds. There's matching a bit more time. We all did that.
1: Yeah. Huh? Yeah. And he's the voice that was able to provide that, uh, for many Knowles fans for years. And, um, his ability impact and legacy are something we at the station, some of us here uh, dream to have one day. And again, within, if he's within a sizable fraction of that, um, I I don't think there'll be any complaints from anybody. And we look forward to having the guy uh, potentially maybe uh, working with him, uh, hopefully in the future. Uh, That would be something that, you know, we would love to do here. And uh, just a touch on um, FSU in general. There's been a lot of positions that were held here for decades um, that are opening up. Baseball is no, like you said, baseball is no longer coached by a Mike Martin for the first time since 79 women's basketball and see Sue Samarow leading the squad for the first time since what the mid nineties. And now his new voice for Seminoles since what eighties, seventies. It's insane. Times okay. are changing and uh, it'll be fascinating to witness and, you know, hopefully F- FSU
3: soccer as well.
1: Yep. That yep. too. First time uh, to witness this kind of early section of this next chapter in Florida State Athletics. And going to be very interesting to see what happens in the next uh, couple of years. Yeah.
0: time kills the Kings and brings the mountain down. Uh, it, it will always, it will always win. You know, we get to be a, a, a witness, like you said, in this, in this chapter of Florida state history, this tiny sliver of this world, our reality. Don't want to get too deep in, in uh and meta on the guys, but uh,
3: Jackson, the philosopher,
0: <laughs> you know, I will be a philosophy minor. So uh, sorry <laughs> in advance for the rest of the show. Um, but uh, so we're going to go ahead and transition into the Stanley cup. Avalanche lead the series three, two after dropping the possible game and Stanley cup clinching game at home in Colorado. Uh, the lightning finally were able to hold on to a one goal lead. Um, they they gave it up a couple times, but they were finally able to hold on to it in the end. Um, I believe it's, it was the third time uh, in the series I had a one-goal lead in the third period, and um, or maybe the second. I apologize. They haven't been good at closing in the third period or in overtime. That we do know. Max, so far, what do the Lightning need to do in order to, you know, get this miraculous comeback going, other than you know win Game Five?
2: Uh- First and foremost, they they need to stay healthy. This team is battle-tested as it gets, and they're limping their way through this Stanley Cup playoffs. And it just shows to the testament that hockey players are just built different. They really are. Like, it's unbelievable the types of injuries they're fighting through right now. And they're doing their best to hold them off. I mean, you got Sergeyev and – Players like Sergey Chev and Hedman playing 35 plus minutes a night, like that's that's really test on your defense, especially against Colorado, who might have the best offense I've ever seen in my life for hockey. Honestly, when it comes to their downhill type of attack, it's crazy to see that they're not dropping five five goals a night. Honestly, like you said, it it'll be a lot to come back and win this series, but. Lightning at home is a good team, very hard team to beat. When it, when they go back to Colorado, they'll, they'll really need some uh, miraculous events to pull that one off, I bet. You already calling
1: that they win game six in Tampa?
2: I'd like to say so.
1: Okay.
3: I, yeah, I think we're, we're in store for one of the most electric Stanley Cup atmospheres we've ever seen game six down in Tampa. I mean, those fans have been there – for so long now during this stretch for the lightning going all the way. I mean, the entire past decade to see them rise to be on the precipice of a third straight Stanley cup, it's all going to culminate in this get, last stand game six down in Tampa. Um, I I think that there's no way on earth that Colorado, despite them being the better team, I think like I, I, I would pick Colorado to probably win game seven, but game six, I think is a formality. I'm, I'm going to go ahead go ahead and say that it's a formality the way that not only, um, in the, not only because of the atmosphere that's going to be on display, but we, guys, we've seen Tampa Bay have that mental fortitude in this postseason alone. They were down three, two to Toronto. They were down two nothing to New York in the conference finals. What's another three, one deficit for them. I, I really think that when it's all said and done in game six, uh, the Lightning will force a game seven.
1: I would just like to point out that if the Avalanche were playing, playing any other team in the final, it would be a foregone conclusion. We would already say the Avalanche have wrapped it up, and it would be a, probably a five-minute conversation. But this is, the, this is the Tampa Bay Lightning two-time champs uh, now. Um, so you said these games have been really close. Uh, game one was an OT winner and along with game four, and then games two and three were blowouts by each respective teams. And then game five was another, was a close one that Tampa were finally able to get on the right side of. And these aren't exactly excuses that I'm about to give. I'm not a Tampa fan, but there is some Florida bias, Uh, not Florida Panthers, but just Florida bias in general. But there was a lot of things that haven't gone Tampa's way in the past two games. And that's not just injuries. It's stuff in the games. Uh, Colorado's first goal in game four by Nathan McKinnon came off of his skate, then off of Vasilevsky's. Their second goal was sharply deflected off a defender, uh, which made a 2-2. Uh, The only, not legitimate goal, but the overtime winner in game four was a legitimate goal. There was calls that maybe there was too many men on the ice. Uh, I don't think that was a valid call. There was people going in and out. I think that was going to be a very... It was
3: inconsequential, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was going to be a very iffy call to call in the Stanley Cup final uh, for a game. Uh, But that's hockey. Uh, And then game five, Avalanche, again, another two other goals. Huge deflection off Tampa defender, uh, throwing off Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, wasn't able to catch it right, and it kind of dropped down for an easy goal for uh, Valerie uh, Nishushkin, and then the yeah, half-second goal came off the Tampa defender escape, so Tampa could easily be up 3-2 in this series, but they're not, but there's nobody else you trust in the world like the Lightning uh, to, pull, to come back from this deficit. I trust them like I did the FSU softball team going into this, but <laughs> that was a month ago, and this is now. No matter how dire the circumstance, you just have a feeling they'll claw their way out of these situations. Maybe not in games, but right now you it's a game-by-game game situation. Why wouldn't you trust the team that's up 2-0? Because Avalanche have the far better team. There's I don't think there's any doubt right now, but the Lightning have that experience, that fortitude, like you were saying, to really force things to make make it very difficult for a team that probably should have a Stanley Cup by now. Cause I feel like we've forgotten that Colorado going into the season was kind of wasting their talent away. They were could always they were always getting knocked out before they can get to the Western Conference Finals with superior teams. And Tampa has finally potentially met their match, and they finally are probably playing the best team in the West it's because Montreal certainly wasn't the best team last year, but they were able to find their way through. And, and one more thing, Colorado, uh, the one thing that has been a problem are the power plays. Colorado's 40% on the power play. Tampa Bay is 11%. So in 2020, the Lightning were 37% on the power play. That's probably how they were able to get it done against Dallas. Uh, last year, almost worse at 13% against an inferior Canadian squad, but they were able to work that way because they were just a far better team on paper, but this is a superior side in the avalanche and they're uh, facing a tough percentage on the power play uh, and the avalanche have been absolutely crushing it. So you need to uh, keep, a he- keep your head sharp, uh, avoid dumb penalties, Uh, like Colorado were uh, potentially able to last game, uh, keep it sharp at home and um, trust your guys who have been there and been in those moments to get it done and do it again.
0: You know, I, I I will say I am not the hockey expert. I have, you know, just kind of started to pick it up in the last couple of years um, in the playoffs, admittedly, Um, but I've watched enough sports and I've studied, you know, just the process of sports. And you can tell when, when a team, is getting dominated and you can tell when a team is, is, is not. I will say in the third period and in overtime, Colorado has been Colorado has been doing that for the most part in most of these games. But I think if you ask the average person, uh, if the team's up three, one on another team, you're probably thinking that the team that's up three, one has been absolutely dominant. And in my opinion, that's, that hasn't been true. This series has been, in my opinion, very tight but the games have to end in a certain way. And the games have just been ending in favor of the avalanche. And that kind of sounds a little naive, but, um, you know, if we were in a soccer or, you know, international football format, um, there'd be two ties and there'd be what, two ties. And the series would be 2-1 Tampa. Does that sound right? So, uh it's it's a weird way to look at it but to say that no one has said it but to say that Colorado has been you know far and away more dominant than the Lightning um I I I would disagree with so any more final thoughts we have a couple seconds
1: here uh just like you were saying the Lightning could be up they could have already won the series at 4-1 if they're able to get those overtime winners through but the problem is uh in hockey it's more like max was alluding to earlier it's more about the health and the players and i think game four especially you saw the light you saw a exhausted lightning squad and no matter how fluky i thought those um avalanche goals were in game four uh doesn't matter they were able to get that one goal in overtime that was probably fully deserved so that's all that really matters at this time and air at a time and point and uh, i'm thinking uh, tampa can get it done in another tight low scoring fashion like in typical Tampa dire fashion, it's going to be ugly. It's probably going to be, well, let's see, this is going to be put out. This, the game's going to already happen. So let me make myself a fool. I'm going to say three, two avalanche again, which has been the score of the past two games. So why not? Luke, your prediction?
3: I got abs in seven. I think the lightning comfortably win game six at home. I think that that's kind of their last stand, like I was saying, and then the abs come back at home. They finally get over that, that boogeyman. That's sort of, uh, haunted them the last couple of years, like Jack was saying, where they they have clearly been the more talented team in a lot of the series that they've played, but just have not been able to finish it. I think that that finally culminates in the Stanley Cup for the Avs in game seven. Max?
2: I think it's about time because uh, there's a, someone else we should shout out real quick. I think his last name's Campers, Comfort, or the goalie for the Avs. He has been... Ever since he got pulled, he's mostly, he's really been doing pretty good work in the net, I would say. I think it's time for a a real barn burner here. I I think Avs pull out like a two to one, tightly contested in Tampa. I I think Lightning come out with a quick goal and then just go silent. It's very prone in this offense, especially with how tired these legs are. I think Avs will control it in their half for so much of this game and just bleed clock. We need I think, to get that
1: second goal. I think Darcy Kemper, uh, like you said, has probably actually been the better of the two goalies the past few games. We want to talk about how Big Cat uh, Vasilevsky's probably been out now out the best goalie for the past couple of years, but he's made some criti- He's made a couple critical errors that cost them. I think cost them probably game, uh, probably game four a little bit. So, if he can keep it together in these dire moments, um, I think that'll be worth something because right now, the pressure is back on Colorado. Uh, but the series is back in Tampa, so we're going to just see what happens. Oh, I also forgot to mention um, Lightning in seven. That's what, that's what I'll put.
0: All righty, guys. Well, game six will be in Tampa. We will see if the Lightning can force a game seven. Uh, that will do it for the first half of Tomahawk Talk. You've been listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Back to the second half of Tomahawk talk. Uh, we'll get right back into it. The NBA draft was Thursday. The Magic pick Paula Bancaro with the first overall pick. The Thunder pick Chad Holmgren, second, and Jabari Smith Jr. goes third to the Rockets. Jack, um, you and I share love for the Orlando Magic. Uh, you know, they're right in our backyard. How are we feeling about this pick?
1: I am very excited. I am I even wrote in my notes here, woo, but I, uh, I backed out of that. I chickened out of that. But um, I'll start off by saying that there is a bit of bias of me wanting Paolo in the first place over homegrown and Smith. And it's probably because Paolo was the only one that came to Tallahassee uh, in, back in January when the Knowles <laughs> hosted Duke uh, in that thrilling OT uh, winner over those Blue Devils. Um, in that game, because during that game, I, I was kind of, I was covering it, I was caught in the motion. I, I had to go back and even watch some of Paolo Doncaro. He put together a double-double, uh, 20 points, 12 rebounds, and you know, seven assists. He was the leader in each of those categories for Duke. Um, and he, did, he stood out above an immensely talented side. Uh, by the way, five Blue Devils were drafted um, that night, for them in the first round. And he's, in a, he's a one-man, he's an offensive wrecking crew uh, that could hurt you in so many different ways. Now, the big deficiency is on the defensive side of things, where he's been guilty of having that lack of commitment to the defensive side of the ball, but that is in Orlando's biggest weakness, um, according to the league defensive rating. He's 19th, or I'm sorry, the team's 19th, which isn't great. But it's their strongest suit because on offense, uh, they have a lot of, a lot of problems. Because the Magic side was 29th in points per game. He had just, he averages 17 on averaging 33 minutes. Uh, 28th in field goal percentage. He's nearly, he was nearly 50% in his Duke career. If he could learn to draw contact better, I think that helped help him significantly because uh, the Magic convert free throws very well. They're in the top half of the league, but they're 20th and getting to the line. So he is a day one starter, obviously. Um, is he potentially the piece the Magic need to finally get the ball rolling for the franchise? I do think so, but I'm more, because I feel like there's no question so much about that as much as I want to see the rest of the guys who have been there, Cole Anthony, Franz Wagner, uh, the other guys to really step up into their roles. And I think in the immediate future, the goal for the team this coming season would be to make a playing game. Uh, They still have a lot of young guys who aren't ready to challenge in an ever more difficult East, uh, but they need small steps. And while I don't think they're ready yet, I think there may be a 11th or 12th place team. They're at least fighting for that. And I think that would be progress. Um, So I think they need a little bit more pieces, a piece or two that aren't a bunch of young guys. I think the perfect piece, the, the one comparison i had is remember when chris paul went to the oklahoma city thunder for a couple of years that would be the ideal ideal and dream situation for them because they need maybe not a formal all star and a veteran but they need a guy who's maybe a little past his prime and can be the clear leader the absolute number one for the team you know someone who there's a lot of veterans on the team but brooke lopez or the other it's just probably not your clear number one leader it's not a true all-star veteran um they get a they get that all-purpose offensive threat which paulo is the only problem I have with Chet, um, you just look at him, he's a twig. He severely needs to bulk up. Um, same situation with John Butler, who also wasn't drafted. Um, and if he works out, he works out. He's no unicorn. Uh, I don't know if you know how the comparison, but um, I don't know if you heard, but Kristaps Porzingis and um, Giannis Antetokounmpo had a baby, and that's, this is Chet Holmgren. Um, <laughs>
0: he's about that life. Yeah, he's okay. about that life.
1: He also doesn't share the ball. That was the same problem with Jabari Smith. They're not huge um, – passes of the rock which Paulo is and the magic severely need that because they're lacking on the assisting side of things. So, uh, I'm very happy with the pick. I'm very yeah, very happy for Orlando taking that guy because I was really worried they might get Jabari, which wouldn't have been wor- would've been that bad, but Chet was something I was worried about getting, not so much him as a player, but just in the team as a whole it just it would not have worked out the way I would have wanted. Yeah, he would I- have been I think with was Orlando, he would have been leaving the league on a stretcher within three
0: I think weeks. There's – you're all going to laugh at me when I say this, um, but the way that the Magic got the first pick this year reminds me of how the Warriors got it a few years ago. Um, all of their – all their pieces get hurt within the year. You know, Jonathan Isaac gets hurt. Mark Hill Fultz gets hurt. Jalen Suggs, I think his hand or his wrist was was broken or fractured for a good majority of the season. Um, you know, he didn't have the best year either. Uh, and they end up getting the number one pick just like the Warriors ended up getting Andrew Wiggins out of that number one pick. They trade for him. I know they, or I don't remember how exactly, no, no, did they, no, they got, what's his name?
3: Pardon me. Um, Angela Russell. They traded D'Angelo Russell for, for Andrew Wiggins. They, they, they yes. took, um, they yeah, took, but they uh, took James, James Wiseman.
0: Correct. The, yeah. Correct. I mean, at that time they, they had the number one pick and they had Steph Curry and they had Clay Thompson and they had Andrew Wiggins and they had Draymond Green and they had Andre Godala. So
1: I just want to, point obviously out I'm not right.
0: comparing, I'm not comparing their roster to, to Orlando's, but I will say it, it was it was a great year to um, have all your players hurt because I always they're not a team ready to build a championship uh, but let's just keep it within the ACC is there you know you're down two with five seconds left. Is there anybody other than Paulo Bencarro you want taking that last shot? Wyatt Wilkes. <laughs> He did have 19 against Notre Dame a couple years ago. That's right. Um, but seriously, I, I'm, I'm going to open that up to the floors. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Is there anybody in the ACC that you want taking that shot over Paulo Banchero?
3: No, not really. I think that Paulo was clearly the number one pick over – I mean, all three of the top three picks, I think, in Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, and um, and Paulo Benchero, I think were, were no-brainer picks, I think, no matter how what you think of each player individually. I think that, that was – how they were supposed to be slotted, but I'm really, really intrigued going forward with the magic, how Vanchero is going to fit in with Wagner and Wendell Carter Jr. in that front court, because Jack was sort of alluding to his, his defensive deficiencies. It's not from a lack of athleticism. I think that he can guard his position as well as anyone in the NBA to be completely honest with you, but it is that, that lack of commitment that sort of scares you a little bit. Um,
0: and uh, not to cut you off there, Luke, but my, that my overall point was those that almost said Florida state is that Orlando has not had a guy since Dwight really to run their offense through. Um, and now they have that guy. Now they have somebody that, you know, you can give the rock to with five seconds left to say, Hey, we need you to score here. Like, that has not been in the realm of Central Florida since 2012, 2013. It's been 10 years since Orlando has had somebody uh, that we can say, hey, we can trust you with this offense. And um it's it's really, really exciting. I I go ahead, Luke, I, Go ahead and finish your point. I,
2: I think yeah, go ahead. We, go ahead, Max. Um I think the Magic are a really interesting team to look at, but I think the pick—I think it's the right pick. You, you got to take either Paulo or Jabari, but now you're just stuck in this weird fit on your roster. You got Franz Wagner, you got Jalen Suggs, you got Paulo, and you got to remember the former FSU grad or grad, Jonathan Isaac. This is like a very forward heavy team which is I guess normal for the NBA nowadays but I fear their presence down low Wendell Carter's only about 6'10 Jonathan Isaac's 6'9 but he's got that massive reach 6'10 it's a it's a weird roster it could work or it could get blown up and they're gonna have to look for a real center which is where a Chet pick could have been interesting pair alongside all these other forwards
3: I'll go ahead. So, so yeah, I, I, I do think that this sort of it's the Orlando pick is intriguing because you don't know where all the pieces fit. Like you said, it, it's been a tough couple of days for, for Jonathan Isaac. He doesn't really know where he, he fits in in the grand scheme of things in Orlando. Now um, I move moving on to another team that really, really impressed me with their picks though. The Detroit Pistons nabbing Jaden Ivy at number four and pairing him with Cade Cunningham in that backcourt, I think is potentially a, a league-altering move. I think that they could be dynamic in all kinds of ways together. I think Jaden Ivey is that type of player. Um, not to mention, they move off of a couple guys. They only had to uh, eat Kemba Walker's salary in the trade that they made with the Knicks. So they are, they are potentially all set to go all in on a free agent like a DeAndre Ayton or someone that can you know sort of supplement they're growing uh, stars in the backcourt. So I, I really like Detroit's pick at number five.
0: And, and you mentioning that, uh, picking up a, a free agent, how cool would it be, Jack, if uh, Orlando brought back Victor Oladipo?
1: It is it is exciting pick.
0: Unrestricted free agent. We I think we've got the cap space for it. I don't understand why we wouldn't. Um, yeah. he'd, be, he'd be that veteran presence, like you said, kind he of past up. his prime. He had a. He he's had not. A, he's not a. You know. fide bucket, I guess is the best way to put it. He's not a. You know. He's not what he used to be like he was in Indiana.
1: But he was, but maybe he's that. Um, I was alluding to maybe a Chris Paul type player for the OKC. Um, he could be that. Um, because I was very impressed by Oladipo's performance. Uh, for the Heat off the bench. Uh, when you know Butler was out, he was able to put in quality performances for a guy who has, sort of just you know, been off his game and it's been sad to see, um, sort of since his injuries, but that is it. Yeah. That is a good option to put someone in, um, who is, could be that venture leader. Um, and I think everybody wins in that
0: situation. I think Oladipo, uh, I think he gets, but yeah, sorry, sorry to keep going back to the magic. I just got really excited, but, uh, we yeah, the Pistons had a great draft. Um, was there anybody else that stood out to y'all in terms of their, their draft performance? I like uh, Knicks. The
3: yeah. Well, I, I just say Knicks, what the hell are they doing? What, what, are, what are they doing there? That's all I'll say about the Knicks. I you know, there was like this the... article I read. Go ahead, Max.
2: I, I don't know. I didn't dive super into it, but I kind of like the move. This is a weird draft class for me where I think there's a chance, maybe not high, but This draft class, to me, scares me a little bit. It seems like it was one of those things where everyone's saying it's super deep, but it ended up being like deep with not the best talent. I I think they should have done this. I think they should have kept their player pool available, so that way, when they actually have the chance to hit on a big superstar, they've been missing on superstars year after year. I get that. And at some point you have to make sure you have a big enough system to grow that when you do land that prospect. So, or uh big name profile, free agent. I, I kind of like it. So is a clear cap space.
0: I'm still not going to lie. I'm still a little confused about that next trade. So they, I'm going to be completely honest. I can just explain it to me because uh, I, I was reading it and I was like, they're moving pieces and they didn't say they, what they were getting they, back. They I,
3: took, they took their number 11 pick. They took a couple of, second round picks and Kemba Walker they traded them in a three-way trade with um I think it was Detroit and uh, another team that I'm forgetting off the top of my head but they got a couple of future conditional first round picks which probably none of them are likely to be as good as the number 11 pick was all essentially they were freeing up salary to go after a Jalen Brunson type of player who maybe might make a difference marginally for your team but that's The the Knicks should not be worried about free agency right now. They should be trying to build from within.
0: And, Luke, I think they're definitely still trying to get Zion, KD, and Kyrie. I think
3: (laughs) –
0: no, but Kyrie Kyrie maybe. I I was reading this article four or five years ago – or, excuse me, that came out four or five years ago. I was reading it a couple days ago, and it was uh, explaining the difference between um, the Rangers and the Knicks, who are both owned by Dolan. Dolan, he he lets the Rangers be. He lets them do their thing. He doesn't get in the way. He's kind of like Jerry Jones, or he's, yeah, he he's, he's kind of like Jerry Jones when he's with the Knicks. When he is, you know, meddling in the Knicks affairs, things get go haywire. And and you you can you can look at the Rangers as an organization. Last, you know, even in twenty fifteen, when I was reading this article or when it came out, twenty seventeen, whenever it came out, you know, they're in the playoffs. Knicks haven't won a, a playoff series in years. There was well, – what was his name? The uh, GM for the Bulls during their run.
3: Uh, Jerry Krause.
0: Krause. He got, he got bombasted for saying that organize, organizations win championships. He's right. The players, you know, they have to do on the court, that's for sure. But, you know, why are – why were teams like the Browns historically bad for so long and the teams like the Patriots – so good for so long because they were a good organization you had you had tom brady that was willing to take pay cuts you had bill belichick that was um you know put in place by a good organization was was given the tools necessary to have that great run that they had next question um this might be a little premature uh since ben Carroll hasn't you know even broken a sweat on an nba court yet but does the addition of Ben Carroll, and we alluded to this a little bit earlier, at least give a different outlook to higher-profile free agents who may have not even thought about playing in Orlando?
3: Can't see it. I, I just can't see it. They've, they, they've got so much young talent down there. They seem to be off in their own bubble, growing from within. I, on top of the fact that I just don't think Orlando can pay for a, a, a big-name free agent. You're not going to get a Kevin Durant to go to Orlando no matter who you're – no matter who is, is playing.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I'm not – I don't think the – like, I, when I was writing that question, I, I wasn't thinking – you know, I wasn't thinking about KD, but, but I'm, I'm talking about, you know, guys like a Victor Oladipo or guys like a uh, – I don't know, P.J. Tucker. Guys of that magnitude.
3: I – see, that's the problem is I don't – like, maybe I – th- I think that the Magic would be able to get – Victor Oladipo, because I don't know who else is going to offer Victor Oladipo money. Like I think that he's he's sort of a shell of his of his his former self after the injuries that he's sustained over the last couple of years. And you don't really add a PJ Tucker unless you know that you've got a real shot and you sort of fit. PJ Tucker is a piece that you put into to fill in the holes that you have in your roster. Orlando right now that should not be at the top of their their priority list is getting a guy like P.J. Tucker, even with the veteran leadership that he brings. Jack, what do you think?
1: Um, Still think that um, some, uh, someone like, like you said, Victor Oladipo would be a good spot. Um, Maybe, I don't know if you can really necessarily get him on the cheaper end of things, but maybe try to work something out where maybe he's not in the starting rotation because off the bench for the heat, he looked pretty decent. And I think that's a role that, if he accepts with the magic which may not be you know isn't the nicest sounding thing coming off the bench for the orlando magic but that would be a huge piece if they can make that uh, come together uh, get that veteran leadership someone who's been around to um you know course these guys into becoming something because right now they're they're a little bit of nothing and they need to become something this reminds me of the atlanta hawks who needed um who were a bunch of young guys and needed some time to grow and then there was just one big boom and all of a sudden during the Eastern Conference Finals um, against the Milwaukee Bucks. So I'm not saying Orlando's on that level, uh, unless unless Pablo Bencaro's, um similar to having the same impact as Trey Young or something al- along those lines. But if they can get a level to that and at least work themselves into the uh, top eight in the next two or three years, I think that would be a quality addition to get some veteran leadership.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. So moving on, Arch Manning commits to Texas, he picked the Longhorns over Alabama and Georgia, and uh, I have a friend that I uh, did when I was working for equipment my freshman year of college uh, for the Florida State Seminoles in football, Uh, a guy grew up a Georgia fan I was working with, and he said, you know, it makes total sense why Arch didn't go to Georgia, because who would even dare to want to live in Stetson Bennett, the fourth's shadow? So how does the acquisition of Arch who won't play until 2023 affect the Quinn Ewers era in Austin?
1: It potentially could. I think that's, I'm going with the safe hands here. It potentially could. Um, but I want to look at the overarching theme of the SEC here. So Texas and Oklahoma are expected to join in 25, uh, assuming Quinn Ewers is everything that we've expected having a perfect score. Um, he should be the Texas quarterback for at least the next two seasons. Um, and he's just, and if, I think it's easy for him. He's just got to bet on himself and note and hope and not exactly hope, but he's gotta be the best guy out there. And if he is for the next two seasons, you don't need to worry about Archman Manning who's behind him. It doesn't matter the name if you're on the field doing and putting in the work. Uh, and I think if he, again, if, if everything goes his way, he could be in the talks for the draft by the time his junior year rolls around. And by that point, um, uh, Manning is already what is in his sophomore year he'd potentially be fighting for him at that point but Texas in a is in a really good situation if they could keep things and hold it together because by the looks of it um, Archie Manning should be um, should be the first quarterback for Texas in the SEC era and if Quinn can you know get them to a place where they once were or at least to somewhat uh, on that level and you know has a college career that uh, that his high school resume suggests. He'll be a top draft, poise, dra- nah, top draft choice by the time Manning's a sophomore. And if Steve Sarkisian could build out the rest of this team, uh, Texas will be back for the mid-2020s and have Archie Manning ready there for the SEC. Uh, the problem is I was so innocent to forget about the transfer portal, which is something we're going to talk into a little bit. But Archie Manning, is he going to be someone who can be straight away potentially the next few years by another team unless he's fully in on Texas? That's something we gotta wait and see because commitments nowadays, it's just words. It doesn't mean too much. But right now, on the on paper, I think Quinn Ewers has to bet on himself and hope he's the best quarterback in the nation by uh, by the time for the next two years. And if he is, he won't have any problem keeping Archie behind him. And I think that is that could realistically happen. Also, shout out to Texas for having three the three only perfect scores of all time. I think in that uh, era.
0: So a, a recruit like this. That's something that Sarkeesian has in his back pocket. Um, you know, Texas, they they lose to Oklahoma, blowing, you know, uh, I want to say close to a three-touchdown lead or it was at least 14, 15 points. Forgive me for not knowing the exact number. Um, they lose to Kansas at home. Um, I don't think they made a bowl. I think they were five and seven. If they did, they are maybe six and six. How much does this gives uh sarkesian leverage at the that the negotiation table or at least the you know don't fire me table because he can say well hey i got that number one kid coming in a couple of years if you fire me he go he most likely goes away um well, the,
3: this, this is this is going to this this confluence of events where the, you know they get yours and archman it's going to provide us with a, a once and for all uh Sort of experiment as to what is wrong with Texas. If Texas finds a way to screw this up, no matter how how the, how it happens, if they find a way to screw up after nabbing both of these guys, then all bets are off. Texas is never coming back. I'm I'm confident in that. Uh, I I can see um either one of those guys transferring after the first couple of years, whether it's yours because Arch Manning kicks him kicks him to the curb or whether Arch Manning feels the pressure and, and can't live up to the the expectations and he transfers out somewhere else. I don't think both of them are going to end their college careers with Texas. Um,
0: I I bet not to cut you off. I bet within one year, one calendar year from the day, either Manning will not be committed to Texas or you will not be on the
1: Ubers will not be on the rock.
3: I would take, I I would agree with that. I think both. Yeah.
1: I was just saying, I'll, we'll clip these and, you know, hold these against you.
3: <laughs> I just think that both realize their potential. I think that both are, are able to start in today's college atmosphere at a, at a freshman level at a, at a very young, young age, and they, they want that time to develop as a starting quarterback. I just don't see either one of them riding, riding the pine while the other, you know, plays quarterback for Texas.
0: Do quarterback system. That fixes everything.
3: Brian Kelly. Shout out Brian Kelly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Max, how do you feel about the uh, the the big number one recruit going to Texas?
2: I just don't understand why he would pick Texas if they already have viewers. Is it like the location, Austin? I get it. It's like a booming city and all, but it just doesn't make sense to me. He could have gone anywhere and probably started. He's the biggest name recruit there is. I mean – and he picks the one school with the guy rated just as highly as him. It doesn't really make sense to me at all.
0: Maybe, maybe he's a uh, maybe he's a big Austin FC fan. Maybe he's a big Matthew McConaughey fan. Yeah, uh, that could
1: be it. So, uh, I think there's a legacy thing there too, where if um, if either one of these guys can bring Texas back to promise the prominence, that's a huge that's huge uh, and something that neither of them can turn down, especially for Manning. Um, you know, having the legacy of your uncles in the SEC, you know, making it and being huge. I think him going to Texas is making his own path. He could have gone to Bama. He could have gone to Georgia. um, But he has a chance for, it has a bigger payout. If it works, if it works out, it's a huge, we were going to say Archie Manning saved Texas. And if it doesn't work out well, just be committed and, uh, you know, try Bama again.
0: All right. so uh, any final thoughts, we're getting close to the end here guys.
3: Shout, shout out to um, <clears throat> shout out to Live Tournament for for Navin Brooks Kepka. We we failed to mention that 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 might have been quite honestly the most obvious play of all time for Brooks Kepka to go over there.
0: I mean, you he know. only he only shows up in the majors anyway.
3: Yeah, but I mean, can you can you imagine the content that they're going to try to create with Bryson and Brooks over there? Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be a, a they're going to create a drama show, a spin-off drama show about about the two of them.
0: Big Brothers, is what it will be called.
3: Yep.
1: Get a nice Netflix special.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, Max, anything?
2: I just feel for uh, Zalatoris. man gets so close and just can't quite pull it out.
0: Yeah, I think he'll get there. Um, He's a young guy. He's 24, 25. He'll he'll figure it out. Um, It's not like he hasn't won before. He just hasn't won on the major stage yet, and uh, it takes time. It takes time for guys to break through, unless you're Tiger Woods. Uh, but that will do it for Tomahawk Talk, for Luke Hazen, for Max Rundy, and for our co-host and producer, our Swiss Army Knife, our Jack of all trades, Jack Oliaro. I've been your host, Jackson Bakich. We'll see you next Monday at 7 p.m. on WVFS Tallahassee.